Exactly, right? So I think that there is specific training or specific regulations that we could create that would then give techs, well, if I can handle these level of cases, vomiting, diarrhea cases at stage one, and I can recommend blood work and I can recommend Serenia, then maybe then I could relieve some vets of that and I could also get a better wage. Sorry for saying sorry media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Little. <laughs> and this is Dr. Yola Kerpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. <laughs> so I had the eyes again. I had the, the deer in the headlight. <laughs> Again. Well, it's because uh, I thought that you you might start this time. I don't know why I got that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, but it, it was great. Uh, no, nobody could see it except for me, of, of course, and our amazing guests that we have. But this is the Per Podcast. We're very excited that you all are back listening to us, uh, Doctor. Listening, listening to me struggle to open the podcast yet again as we head to episode one hundred. Yeah, okay, you know, the last one you did really well. I I did. I did. did yes. Right. I thought I had turned a new leaf, but. But, oh, well, can you introduce your fellow Canadian? Oh, yes. So um, I'm always very happy when we have fellow Canadians on. So, and this is particularly special because we have a veterinary technician with us. Ooh. This is Robin Sarr. And we have had, what, two or three other vet techs, mm. Yola? I think I can think of two right off the bat. You might be the third, Robin. You might be the third. So we'll let you kind of um, do a, a quick little intro of who you are. You bet. Well, three times a charm, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm Robin and I am an animal health technician, a registered vet tech. And I also have my veterinary technician specialty in nutrition. Hmm. I just got that back in 2019. Um, so worked really hard in a mixed animal practice to get that done um, and just find, yeah, you know, nutrition, animals eat every day, right? So, so nutrition's important every single day. So it's kind of one of those jumps I thought that I'll be important everywhere because every animal at every vet clinic is going to need to eat. So they're always going to need Robin. So that's kind of why I made that leap into that. That is good career planning right there. Exactly, right? There's always opportunities. That. People always love food. Um, and everyone always wants to talk about food. So um, yeah, so I thought it was a good way to go. Um, love animals, did endurance riding on horses, always had a pet in my little pocket, even at, back in tech school, you know, hiding them in the dorms. And um, yeah, and, and so I'm happy to be here today and, and talk about our little cat friends and, and add in some tech perspective and maybe some nutrition perspective. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and and I'm really triggered by also the fact that mixed practice. So mm. it is, uh, we normally don't talk about the D, but we can talk about any other animal in this podcast. So we'll be very excited to hear about the goats and horses and cows and anything that they have to do with cats. Do you know, I've always thought that there are similarities between cats and horses, you know, mm. kind, kind of in their, in their behavior, right? They both need kind of low stress handling and um, they both both species that you're the horse person. I'm not, so I'm I'm you know I'm guessing from the little I know, but they can um, often not look that sick when they are sick, and then they're catas suddenly catastrophically sick. So 
Yeah, I've often thought there's some parallels. I actually put them more with cows. Oh, I find um, horses are maybe more like a D word, but um, cows, <laughs> cows really are where they're in the field and then all of a sudden they just want to die. <laughs> um, and cows are tough like cats. Like, you know, cats with surgery, you know, you can maybe have a little go wrong and a cat will tough it out. They can get in a fight. They're going to heal. They might abscess. Don't worry. You don't even have to give them antibiotics. They'll heal. Cows are like that. Super tough, right? We can pull out their whole uterus, pull out a baby. They'll heal. It's fine. Um, whereas horses are kind of wimpy. Ah, right okay. horses are kind of wimpy they, they call it easy and uh, they're sore and so i kind of always thought cats were like cows but, i yeah. like that that's a, that's a really good analogy i think because <laughs> I, I was when when dr susan said hey it, it cats are like a horse and i'm like no they're not no, they're not <laughs> yeah <laughs> cows. yeah i i can dig that i'm going like to change that. my analogy now did you ever do surgery with with uh, large animals, Yola, like early in your career, or would you... I did, as a matter of fact. So when I was in my veterinary career, when I was a student, I always I, I I couldn't make a decision what I really wanted to do. So at a certain point, I said I, I really need to, and I don't have a agriculture background at all. So I said, okay, I need to put myself to the test. So I did this cow shoeing course, which was a full week in some northern part of Holland. Uh, getting up like at 3.30 in the morning, uh, getting out to the milk farms, looking at the cows, uh, in the rain, in the ship, and all the stuff that's surrounding it. And I really loved it, except for getting up at 3.30 in the morning. So that was kind of the decision when I took like, that's not for me. I'm not a morning person, so I'll never be able to do that. And then running around in the pasture behind the cow that really want, doesn't want to be caught. It was also not my ideal way of uh, getting through the day. So that was really good. But I, I uh, during my residency, it was still in the time, so this is a timestamp, that I had to learn or I had to do part of my uh, surgical exams in both uh, equine, bovine, and small animal. So mm. I didn't have to do the practical part, but the, a large part of the theory was still... So we had to train for that. So I'm, as a matter of fact, a board certified surgeon for cows and horses. And one of the people that hopefully is listening to this podcast that works me, with me always says cow surgeon to me. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, I'm displaying my own ignorance here, mainly because I never think about surgery, you know. But if you're board certified in surgery, is it small versus large or it's just all surgery? So it used to be all surgery, and ah. now it is. Now it's divided. Now they specialize. And oh, as okay. a matter of fact, it's even more specialized because I'm also a fellow in surgical oncology. Mm -hmm. So it's, oh, wow. it gets more specialized while you go. And I haven't touched a horse or a cow since I got out of, uh, you know, my residency. So don't ask me to do anything on them. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I at least have the degree. Well, speaking of specialties. We've had, I think, two other um, techs on, and they, uh, and we talked a little bit about specialties with them because that's a relatively new thing, right? In 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 the tech world, that specialties are available. So I'm interested in hearing, like, why did you want to do it? How how do you do it? Um, and why did you pick nutrition? Because I know that's your specialty. Yeah, you bet. 
So I remember back, I went with one of the ladies I graduated. I graduated 25 years ago now, and she was doing her ECC. And that was about two years after we graduated. And I just kind of thought, well, that's weird. Like you're doing a specialty. So I knew they existed, but I really thought it was only like for eMERGE hospitals. Right. So you had to work in a big hospital to get that specialty. I didn't think there was any way anyone in a regular practice could do it. So um, when I came back to work this last time, um, did my tech things. And I, I've always been a person that wanted to do more, right? Like I just wanted to work harder, do more. I probably should have gone on and got a degree and things like that, but had kids instead because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> so, um, so then went on and, and, you know, tried to look at where could I move my career? What could I do? And this was a great way that I didn't have to go back to school with my children to university, but I could still invest in my education. So uh, went on and looked at the list. And what I actually did is I went onto that NAFTA site where they have all the different specialties listed. And I clicked into each single one and looked at the skills list and the knowledge list and just said, well, number one, what could I get done at my practice that I'm at? And number two, which one would I want to do? Like what is going to be of interest to me that I'm going to want to focus on and get through? Um, and I really at first thought, oh, physiotherapy, that seems so cool. Like rehab's really getting big. I could do that. So I went to a CE with a VTS in rehab and I sat on the floor for five minutes. And I thought, I cannot sit still long enough to do rehab. Like <laughs> you gotta be calm and quiet and okay, I cannot do rehab. So, so then I moved on and thought, well, I love behavior, right? I've always done horse behavior and behavior is so cool. Um, but you really, there are some stipulations with behavior that I just couldn't meet. Um, and I think I maybe had the thought that a lot of techs have where you think kind of, well, nutrition, eh, like that's a wimpy specialty maybe, right? Like you don't think much about nutrition, but when you read through it, it's actually a lot of internal medicine. Yeah. So you have to know internal medicine and then you have to know the nutrition components. It's not just saying, well, this diet is a diet you'd feed to pancreatitis. So given this diet, you have to know what is pancreatitis? What's happening in the body? Are there different types? Are there, what are the results with a pet? What nutritional components are affected and can you change? So it's a little different, I think, than what a lot of people feel nutrition is. Wow. So when, yeah, when I looked at it, um, and I think being a mixed animal practice gave me a little bit of a bonus because we're putting tubes in a lot of different animals. <laughs> so I had a wide variety of cases that I could utilize um, and show good knowledge and skill because it wouldn't just be two species or one species. I had like four to six species I could focus on. So, um, so when I looked through everything, I just decided that this was what I was going to do and, and moved ahead with that. So um, really glad I did. It is a lot of work though. I think techs that think that they can, you know, do all their reports last minute, or it's just going to be easy. It's not easy because you are taking a step up from what we learned at tech school. Like we learned basics, but you really need to go up. Like what would the vet maybe know? Mm. So, so that expectation, um, and Ann Wartinger, who has like three specialties, yeah. he said to me once that getting your VTS is like getting a master's. So you're going to be very specifically learning so that you're writing papers as if you know everything about that area. So, so to me, getting a master's, that's a really big deal, right? That takes people a lot of dedication, a lot of knowledge. And, and so I just tried to keep that expectation with myself there. Um, and man, it's just been amazing ever since. It really does open a lot of opportunities uh, for techs who maybe are feeling stuck and yeah. going, is this what I'm going to do for the next 20 30, 40 years is putting in a catheter for a euthanasia, like, oh my gosh. Um, but there are other opportunities. 
There's other doors that can open and it's not just going to have to lead you to be a practice manager, which we don't all want to do and we are not all trained to do. Um, and, it, and you can still use those skills. So it's, I think it's a fabulous things for techs. I'd like to actually see it grow from there. I don't know how you guys feel as vets, but I've always thought that with techs, it'd be nice if they separated us out. So for example, in Canada, we have our two-year program. Mm -hmm. So then you're a registered tech. Well, what if there was a way that we could do like a year or two internship and then have like a degree? Uh -huh. And then what if there was a way that once you do a VTS, maybe then you're actually a tech practitioner. Hmm. So for example, as a nutrition tech, I shouldn't be able to prescribe antibiotics or control drugs, but what about Serenia? Hmm. You know, an anti-nausea medication. Yeah. If I have that much skill and I've done a board exam, is that something that we could look at with techs or maybe techs that do their dental one, maybe they could extract teeth because yeah. they've actually done that dental That's um, a big level. Exactly, right? So I think that there is specific training or specific regulations that we could create that would then give techs, well, if I can handle these level of cases, vomiting, diarrhea cases at stage one, and I can recommend blood work and I can recommend Serenia, then maybe then I could relieve some vets of that and I could also get a better wage. So it gives techs more opportunity. And I think that would help vets a lot as well. We're struggling with getting vets in clinics. Yeah. Um, and, but if techs could fill those roles appropriately, I don't know how we could go wrong in the industry that way. Yeah. Well, I think it's a very interesting idea. And, uh, and, and I just want to go back to one thing before we start discussing this is uh, in, in our pre-talk, you said something about, uh, I, I love the idea that you went through all those different specialties and that you kind of were scratching them out because that doesn't fit and this doesn't fit. And, and that's, that's, I think, a really good idea. And then you've, you, you suddenly come to nutrition. But you said something that really stuck in my mind was, you know, uh, everybody needs nutrition. So everybody needs meat. That's what I love. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Every day I'm important. I should be important in my clinic. Every patient that comes in should need to talk to Robin, yeah. right? Like every vet should be like, have you talked to Robin? We're either checking up on the plan she put you on or she needs to check your plan that you are on. So really I should be important. The most important person also in my clinic should exactly. be. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I love that idea. And, and if the clinic is clever enough, they should thank you for that because yeah. it's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, so I know that you don't have as many cat patients, probably as you would wish or that there should be, but um, what are the most common things that you as um, a, a tech with your VTS in nutrition, like what in the cat world comes your way? Yeah, so it's actually what I find the most common thing is we get a lot of cats with herpes, um, with uh, rhinotracheitis in our area. And of course we are a bit rural, so we have a lot of rural barn cats. So I love to talk to those people about immunity, Yeah. right? So how can we increase immunity in these pets? How can we affect them that way? And then of course, supporting them with good nutrition as well. Um, but you know, maybe using some of those probiotic um, products that are gonna increase immunity and help these cats get through. That would probably be my number one. Um, number two, I'm probably looking at kidney and diabetes. Yeah. Um, because for the most part, that's when owners um, that we're seeing really want to engage with their cats. And now we have a disease process going on. So then we're getting into that big talk of how do we manage this disease process? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I see, but I would say really that rhinotracheitis herpes virus is the big thing that we've got going on. 
Wow. Um, so really, yeah, really interesting and, and explaining that to people, what it is and how antibiotics aren't just going to cure it and what they can do to help. So I have a question for you also going back to the, the previous topic that we were talking about, how we can empower, empower our nurses. So we mm -hmm. have a lot of veterinarians listening. In, in those examples that you gave, how can they empower their mm -hmm. technicians slash nurses uh, to do their part and also be able to let it go? Because I remember from surgery, yeah. and I, I had a lot of students, um, and mm -hmm. I let the students do quite a lot. And I, I am always surprised when people tell me that when they talk about their technicians or their nurses, that they don't allow them to do things that I used to have my students do. And the students had no education. I mean, that's why they were there. They needed to be educated. So that's why what I was doing. Uh, and these nurses have years of experience and are limited in what they're allowed to do. Probably part because of the law, but also part, a big part is because of a general attitude or maybe a misunderstanding of veterinarians how they could use their nurses much better. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I will say that lots of times my younger generation techs that I have come in are very nervous to talk to people. Um, but I tell them, I said, well, you know, I used to be super nervous as well. Like communicating has not always been easy for me. Even when I worked um, at the kennel, I used to listen to the owner talk to clients because that's different, right? Talking to clients is one thing, but talking to owners is another thing. Like, are you going on holidays and learning how to gab is really a gift. Yeah. So what I tell my young techs is what I want you to do is I'm going to go up and talk to this person about nutrition or about what's going on with their pet. I want you to stand behind me and listen. And what I want you to do is learn to mimic the same sort of thing that I'm saying, get that same, you know, roll down. This is the philosophy of our clinic. This is how I want you to talk. And that's what I encourage them to do with the vets. Listen to, if you're working with this vet, listen to how he talks to the clients and you're going to say the same things back. So we're just going to repeat what our vets want. So if we can have our vets under, like get that communication going, the text, we don't want them going rogue per se, right? Our job is to be supportive. So whatever your vet and the clinic's philosophy is, that's what we're there to support. So have the vet say, okay, you're going to follow me out for a week or however long. This is how I'm going to talk about the case. You're going to learn what I use, the phrases I say, and you're just going to say I'm back. And I think that'll give the tech number one confidence that the vet trusts her or him to do that. Um, and I think when we can develop confidence and give those jobs out, those responsibilities out, you will still see people strive. Um, and that's what I do as a practice manager. Now I always say like, I'm the wheel and all the people are my spokes. <laughs> so I give them all responsibilities and they have a job to hold this wheel up. They got to keep the wheel. I'll keep it spinning, make sure it's spinning, make sure there's enough spokes, but they got to do their job and be their spoke. So if you can involve them and give them responsibility, they're going to get way more out of them. They're going to feel more dedicated to that vet and to that clinic because of the trust that they have. So that's what I would encourage is that you actually do have to let go. You have to put some responsibility on them. And if they fall, pick them up. If they fall again, well, then maybe we have to have a discussion. Um, maybe that's not the right tech for that clinic. Maybe there's other things, but you have to give them a chance. And man, why not use them? You're paying them. Why not use them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really good points. Really good points. And, and, and in your career, you said, you know, you began and you were nervous first too and you listen to other people do it. How did you convince your boss that you were the one? Of course, you are the one because <laughs> you know they need you for everything, but- Every day. How, if I'm a young tech 
uh, and I'm in a cap only practice uh, and I struggle with the fact that I, I, you know, I feel that I don't do enough or I could help better. Mm-hmm. How would I bridge that topic then with the vets to discuss about it? You Without bet. being, you know, right in their face and yeah. that they get defensive, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I've always been very big on um, people need to process. So if people need to process and not everyone's going to process everything as quick as me, or maybe I'm not going to process as quick as someone else, because that may be new information. It may be a new idea I've never thought of. I would have those texts write down a proposal Mm. for that vet and say, you know, yeah, just put it in writing a little proposal of this is what I think I'd like to offer. This is where I think I could help. Um, This is how I'm going to make that happen. Or here's some ideas I have of how I could make that happen. Um, I'd like to give you the week or two days, whatever you think that person needs to process this. Can we set up a meeting? I put a quick block in the schedule for such and such a day for us to discuss it. That way that gives them time to go over what they want, you know, process how they think that'll work in the clinic and then sit down and have a discussion once they've had time to process. Um, because I think that's fair to give everyone a chance to think about things. Um, and then maybe the vet would be like, Oh, you know, you, that gave me this great idea. This is what I think we could do. Um, it might actually start a storm of ideas. They might think that person's really shy and doesn't want to help and doesn't realize that they just don't know how to approach the situation. Um, so I always say, do a little proposal, just Mm. like if you want to raise, if you want anything, do a proposal, say what you're good at, say what you've achieved, say what you're willing to achieve, um, and send that out to the world and see what happens. It's a really great way to go about it. I like that. I think I'm going to use that with my team now. I'm going to say, put that in a proposal. Yeah. Hmm. I do that all the time. Like if the, if the techs want to raise, I say, well, write me up a proposal of why you think you deserve a raise and what you're going to do to earn it over the next three months. And then we'll talk about the results we get from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does, it puts it in writing. So it's not like, oh, well, I thought you said this. Well, I understood this. No, it's in writing. um, And it also gives them an opportunity then to expand on their ability to write, right? If we're gonna write a proposal, how do we write that properly? What it needs to be on a proposal. And I think it, again, gives them responsibility and makes them feel important, right? So everyone feels respected and important in the end. I I like that, I like that. It also gives you a little bit of time for your own reflection. So it's not only the- The, the person that you propose to uh, get some time to think about it before you have the talk. But, you know, when you start a discussion and especially when emotions are involved, when you feel that, you know, you should get this promotion or you should be able to do this. So you're already emotional about it. And then you get into a discussion and someone kind of pushes back. You mean you will become more emotional and then it will spiral out of control really quickly. Well, if you have a text where it says, and you have thought about it, and you're pretty clear, it's difficult for other people to push you outside of your comfort zone too, because you have it right in front of you. And so really focus on the thing. And that doesn't mean that another person immediately will accept what you want, uh, because there's also also a little bit of negotiation coming on here. And that's Mm -hmm. the other thing that I would probably advise people to do. If you're not so good in, in, you know, you know, you're good in making a proposal, but you're not very good in finishing the deal. Uh, negotiation is often an, a really big part of it. So go to some lectures about negotiation and it can be about salary. It can be about, you know, negotiating with your mother or whatever it is that really, really helps. And it is so simple. There's, these are these basic 
instructions that you can do and you can use every day in life and it will make your life much better. Yeah, for yeah. sure, right? It opens those doors of all of those things that we could be looking at doing rather than just complaining about or feeling like I don't get enough, I'm not deserved, I'm not valued. Put it out there for the world because maybe the world doesn't realize you aren't valued. They, they think you are, but if you feel you could do more, then you got to put it out there um, and let, let those opportunities happen. Do you see techs in Canada specifically, or at least where you um, live in, in Alberta, do you see them taking more of a role uh, working to support veterinarians now than say they did at the beginning of your career? Because you know the, both Yola and I and you have been around for a while, right? And we've seen things. Yeah. About, are you seeing that happening with, with techs? I really find it very um, clinic specific, though yeah. I will say I think the bigger hospitals for sure are valuing techs more. Yeah. Um, I know the second clinic I worked at was still very, all you do is hold the cat, don't talk, right? You're the holder and that's all. So it was quite a difference going from my first clinic where it was you know, very open role and, and they liked that I was engaging to the next one, it's like, shh. So, so I think, those clinics are maybe still out there and maybe depends on the area you live in as well. Um, but that might also play into the, the veterinarian, you have to give some, right? Yeah. Like, like techs can do more. Uh, of course, back in the day, right? Techs were still getting grandfathered in and they didn't have to, you didn't have to have a registered tech. Whereas now in Alberta, um, unless your vets are gonna do everything and take responsibility for everything, you have to have a tech at your clinic to help. So I think that techs, people are seeing, well, hey, you can put in catheters, let's have you do that. But I do still hear sometimes of, of tech saying, well, I don't get to do enough. Mm. But again, I think you, you really have to say, hey, I could do that for you. Hey, mm. I could do that for you. Let here, oh, oh, you weren't here, sorry, I did it, ha ha, it's done. Look, I was good at it. So yeah. I think sometimes we have to take a little bit of risk to show our, our confidence um, and show that we can be supportive within the boundaries of what we're allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I think that is that is a great point. And and if vets wonder about the fact that they lose, they have a lot of turnover because they say people are not allowed to talk or not allowed to do anything. That might be the reason because you know a job is interesting, but you know mm. if you just want to have a holder, uh, you know that's it's not the proper happen. use of veterinary technicians or nurses in general anyway. Yeah. So I, I I I really reflect on that. And and you said something about Alberta the. The law has changed that. So if you want to have, so because there's always a little bit of discussion between animal assistance and then veneer technicians, so registers veneer technicians. Yeah. Is, so in Alberta, you you have to be a vet tech to be able to do your work, or? Yeah. So um, for example, with monitoring anesthetic. Either the vet can say and have a client sign off saying, just so you know, I'm doing the surgery and I'm monitoring the pet anesthetic, like I've taken responsibility. You have to have either a vet or a tech monitoring anesthetic. Okay, that makes so sense. So technically, you know, those clinics that don't have that could be watched more by the ABVMA, uh, the association. Um, only vet techs are allowed to put in catheters, um, give injections, even mix vaccines. Um, you have to be a, you know, a vet student, vet tech, uh, a doctor, a vet student. Um, so there's lots of little regulations about what those assistants are allowed to do. Mostly they're just handling. They can do the restraint um, and then vet techs can do more of that, you know, the discussions even like who can have that discussion about spays and neuters or, 
you call someone calls and says my pet's vomiting reception can't say oh we'll give it 24 hours right um so so it definitely is worth having uh tech in the practice um and i i do know from listening to people in the states you know that there are lots trained on the job but to have that true education behind you to understand the concepts i think makes such a difference and i really would love to see more value in that mm -hmm. um I just think it's ridiculous that that people think that just because we trained them on the job how to put in a catheter means they really understand, um, you know, what a vein is, where it is, how it works, what it means when blood pressure's down, um, all those different little components that we learn about in school. I cannot even imagine doing surgery on cats and not having a trained technicians doing the anesthesia. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. As a, as a surgeon, it's just mind blowing that people are still doing it, and and the risk that they that poor animal through yeah well you have to remember um and i don't know what it's like in alberta but in ontario it's very hard to hire a vet tech these days mm -hmm. yeah so there are shortages um uh at, in you know in many jurisdictions in in north america so uh, sometimes the you know the, the practice is trying to hire a vet tech but you know but can't maybe so. they have to pay them a little better yeah. it's not that i don't think it's that I, there, there's just, I think the demand is outstripping the number of uh, RVTs that we graduate every year. At least it is, I believe it is in Ontario. Do you see and something I, similar I in Alberta? I do understand that, but you know, if the wages would be a little higher, probably would be more interesting for more people to go into the air technician. So, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. a domino situation. If, you know, if, if, if the careers are not interesting for people to be part of, yeah. uh, there will be always a shortage. So this yeah. has been really great. It's 25 minutes. So I told you we would hit that number quite quickly. Um, but I'm really excited because you will be back. Robin. Yes. Because every day. Yes. Every <laughs> day. Because we need you every day. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so well, yes. I, still, I still have lots to ask Robin. So I'm glad we're going to do another episode. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much. This has been a very, and I really want to next, next week as cliffhanger, obviously, we want to talk about, you know, uh, how techs or what techs do with cats, you know, to make them do the things that want, that we want them to do, because you are so important, I think, in, in uh, not only cat handling, but allowing us veterinarians to do the things that we need to do with cats and it's a it's a whole different trade i mean mm -hmm. i think that that it's it's not about holding the cat only it's about all the things that go along with that and and you play such a such an important role uh, and i would like to deep dive a little bit more in in how we can once again empower you to do even more than you already do so thanks so much uh, for being on the show and Dr. Susan, do you want to do the real? I get you. How come? How come? I always I'll do it. I'll do it. Never do mind. It? Never mind. Then we get that 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 discussion again. But uh, this this was the per podcast. And if you're interested in this podcast, uh, and if you want other people to like our podcast, then uh, give us a five star review because that really helps us. Uh, promoting the podcast in the podcast world and you know a couple of years ago when we started there were not that many veneer podcasts but there are a lot now yeah and uh, and the more people that uh, enjoy the content the better it is um, we have a handle social media handle dr susan what was it at per podcast and what's our website yola our website is perpodcast.net 
And uh, Dr. Susan does a great job in updating that with the latest episodes that we have. And we're crawling very quickly towards the 100th episode. No. So yeah. very excited about that. So yeah. we'll see you later. And thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 